All right, and welcome back to another episode of the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside my always great and consistent co-host, Jonah Tolls. Jonah, how's everything going, man? Always great and consistent. That's how today is going today, Jordan. I'm glad you gave me that introduction because you know what today is? It's mock draft day, my friend. I just released my two-round mock draft on the Draft Network, and I wonder what we're going to be talking about on today's podcast. And, you know, we're going to switch it up a little bit here on today's podcast. Jonah is going to be playing QB1 today, so he's going to be orchestrating everything. He's going to be orchestrating everything, and I'm going to be playing second fiddle and just giving my reactions to his actual mock draft. So it is a two-round mock draft, so we are not – of course, we're not going to go through every pick, but we're going to highlight some things that do stand out in Jonah's mock draft. So without further ado, Jonah, let's get this thing started, man. Let's go through your mock draft. Well, here we go. And like Jordan said, we're not going to go through every pick because I still need to get paid by the draft network for people to (laughs) click on it. So – um, you can go look at my full mock draft at thedraftnetwork.com, and you'll see it right on the front page there. Um, but let's just go through this, man. So the, the first really interesting pick here comes at number six. So the, we think the top five is pretty much set, right? Joe Burrow going to Cincinnati, Chase Young going to the Redskins, and the draft really starts at three with Detroit. But, you know, the, just going through this mock, the first pick that really stand, that stood out to me in terms of what might be controversial is Carolina going with Isaiah Simmons with the seventh overall pick. What do you think about that? So this is really interesting just because the Panthers, nobody really knows what they are going to do, man. Nobody knows exactly what's going on there. Cam Newton and his situation, I think that's what their entire offseason really revolves around. But I keep saying this and I keep coming back to this. I don't have any inside information. Nobody really knows what's going on with that. But Matt Rule is known as a guy with – Like, he builds things from the ground up. He did it at Temple. He did it at Baylor when he overtook those programs. And I think with him being on the seven-year deal, it would not surprise me if they take, like, a Miami approach to what the Dolphins did last year. And that's not to say they completely stripped the roster down to the studs like Miami did. But if they want to just auction off some of these guys that they do have, and I think that's something that they could do, and they just want to totally rebuild this roster and just build it back up with playmakers. I definitely could see them taking Simmons, and I think it's a pick that makes a lot of sense, especially now with Luke Keekley retiring. They don't really have an identity on defense or a franchise like player, a face of the franchise like player. But Isaiah Simmons, you bring him in the, into the fold, he definitely could be the face of that defense now with Phil Snow into the fold as a defensive coordinator, a guy that really had really good defenses in the Big 12, considering with the talent that he had at Baylor. I think him incorporating Simmons and pairing him with Shaq Thompson, I think that gives him a really nice young linebacker core. And two things about this pick. First thing you mentioned was Luke Keekley dynamic in this. That's one of the first things I brought up in this breakdown of this pick was that with Luke Keekley gone, that leaves a huge void in that linebacker core right there in Carolina in the middle of that defense. So I think Simmons can really fit in right there with that 3-4 look. And then let's not forget about Joe Brady being involved now with LSU offensive coordinator now going to be Matt Rule's offensive coordinator here in Carolina. He faced off against Isaiah Simmons, so he knows all yeah. about him, all about that film study. So don't, don't think for one second that Joe Brady isn't going to play a part in this evaluation as well. Um, so I'm going to go right, ne- right down the line here. Number 11, the New York Jets take Makai Becton, offensive tackle from Louisville. Is that too high for him? Is that, too, uh, is, is that a little rich for Becton there? What do you think? I like it. And we talk about this is a team that has to protect Sam Darnold. And if you think about Joe Douglas and his upbringing with the Ravens and also the Eagles, 
two teams that really built through the trenches first. And I think that's the same approach that he's going to take with the Jets. And we talked about this even going back to our senior bowl show. It wouldn't surprise me if they double up with a guy like Becton and then come back in the second round with a guy like Lloyd Cushenberry or Cesar Ruiz at the top of the second round either. So I like Becton here. This is a unit that really needs an identity. The only reliable offensive lineman they really have is Kelvin Beecham. And he's a guy you don't really want him as your blindside protector long term. So getting Becton to protect the blindside of Sam Darnold, I like it a lot. Listen, if Sam Darnold is to take the next step, the Jets must invest in better pass in be- better pass catchers and better pass protectors. Yep. And to me, this wide receiver class is deeper than the offensive tackle class. Both are really good class. I think two probably the two best class positional groups this entire draft. Um, but I think the wide receiver class is going to stretch a little more. I think you know there's a point where this offensive tackle class kind of drops off. Where I think the wide receiver class, you can find a starter in the second, third round. I don't necessarily think that's true with this offensive tackle group. So I, I think with Makai Becton's size, profile, his strength, his length, I think it makes too much sense here for them to really invest in that kind of player to, you know, subsequently invest in Sam Darnold. So I'm going to go. So after that Becton pick, I got this standard there. I got the Vegas Raiders going Jerry Judy, and I got the Colts going Jordan Love. But after those guys, there's a pick the Atlanta Falcons make at 16th overall. Caleb on chase on the L the LSU edge defender. And I know a lot of Atlanta Falcons fans are going to log off this podcast here because they think he's a big <laughs> Beasley clone and they don't want to see that project all over again. Tell me why Caleb on chase on is different than Vic Beasley. So I think they have a lot of similarities coming out, but I think chase on is more explosive than what Beasley was coming out. I think he has a bit more upside and he's a bit more interested in the game overall as well. And that's something with Beasley. It always scared me. You know, he's an Atlanta guy. He's from Atlanta. That's really is his, that really was his hometown. And I wish he would have got a little bit further away just because he had some outside factors that were going on with him. Uh, some home crowds that really got to him and it really deterred his career. And he just hadn't been that same guy since we saw during his first and second years where he had career years. So uh, I think Chason has much more upside uh, than Beasley does or what Beasley has shown. But the one thing that does scare me about this pick, and I want your thoughts on this as well, the Falcons just haven't done a good job with developing or molding those raw pass rushers in a sense or getting them to that next level. And that's not to say Chason is raw. I still think he has some areas that he needs to add to his game. But you think about Tack McKinley. Uh, Vic Beasley, John McCominsky, some of these guys that they have taken in years past that were labeled as raw are still needing to add some more tools to the tool shed. They just haven't been able to do it under this coaching staff. So that is the one worry that I have about Chason ending up in Atlanta. And here's the one big difference, I think, between Chason and Beasley when Beasley came out of Clemson is their ability to stop the run. I think Chason, unlike Beasley, has that sort of link to where he can neutralize, you know, offensive tackles off the edge where he can kind of hold his own and keep that contained whereas Beasley would just get overwhelmed. And you saw that on his NFL tape in his early career with Beasley. He was just a liability against the run. I don't think Chason's going to be that way. And I think a lot of people are going to label Chason as that, oh, he's just a Vic Beasley speed rusher. For one, he's a better run defender. And two, he has a lot more counter moves in his toolbox than what Beasley had coming out of Clemson. Beasley coming out of Clemson was just a straight speed rusher, speed and bend. Chason has a, has a nasty spin move. He has a, his inside quickness. This guy is a lot more NFL ready as a pass rusher than Beasley was coming out of Clemson. So I think they're two different players, but similar profiles. And unfortunately, he's going to get labeled as such. Um, but, you know, I agree with your opinion on, you know, 
the coaching staff not developing rushers. And we've seen it. Beasley, McKinley, Kaminsky, they've all kind of hit a standstill in their NFL careers, right? But yeah. here's the thing. I think Chase on is a different player than those guys. So I'm not going to, I'm not just going to say that, oh, whoever, Ed, whatever edge rusher gets drafted by Atlanta is just going to fail. And I don't think you're, I don't think you're saying that. I'm just saying that I hope people don't think that way. Um, and plus, Thomas Dimitrov, he has a type. You can tell with Beasley and McKinley. He wants these athletic, kind of, you know, bendy edge rushers who can, you know, who look more like three, four outside linebackers but who can also play that 4-3 defensive end hand in the dirt. So it's clear that, that Tommy Dimitrov has a type, and I think Chason fits that mold. It's just a question of whether or not Dan Quinn can help develop him um, into becoming a volume sack artist. Um, Definitely, I agree So, so anything, anything else you have to add on that? I'm with you, and I think he's a much better run defender than people are giving him credit for just because he gets labeled as this raw speed rusher a lot. But if you dive into the tape, and we've talked about this plenty of times on previous episodes, Florida was a great game where you could see it. And there were some others as well where he played it really well. Mississippi State was another game that he played extremely well against the run as well. So I'm a big fan of Chase on. He's definitely going to end up being a top 15 prospect for me. But landing spot, of course, and scheme fit is going to be huge for him. Yeah, so, I mean, let's just go right to the next pick. Dallas, Grant Delpit. I know that a lot of people – would like to see Xavier McKinney in this spot or maybe even a cornerback in this spot. What do you think about Grant Delpit being drafted over a guy like McKinney or even one of these top corners, especially with Byron Jones leaving? I don't have a problem with it. I think they're really two different types of safeties. To me, it just depends on what you want uh, in the safety prospect. Now with McKinney, just talking about the guy you didn't pick here, just talking about McKinney. He's a guy that is better around the line of scrimmage. I think that's really where his domain is. He's not really a guy you want to consistently put on the roof just because his man coverage isn't always great. He's not great in zone either. I think he's just an average cover guy, uh, average tackler as well. But he's a much better tackler than what Grant Delpit has shown. But as far as what Grant Delpit does bring to the table, I think he's much better in coverage. And I think he, he brings a little bit more from a skill set standpoint. Now, he doesn't wear as many hats as McKinney does just because McKinney he can play on the roof when you do ask him. You don't want him to consistently live there, but he can survive there at times. But also, he's at his best around the line of scrimmage as a blitzer and things of that nature as well. I think Delpit is best served as a true free safety, that guy you want roaming on the back end, really playing the patrol cop on the roof of the defense. I think that's where his best skill set is or is best utilized at. I think that's an area where Dallas could serve to improve, especially at safety. Dallas has been searching for safety for so long, man. It's a position everybody's been wanting to upgrade for so long. And I think Delpit does definitely bring that to the table. But, of course, the one word that's going to come up with Delpit is the tackling. And I think it's kind of a little bit overblown. And what I mean by I that agree. is I, I think his biggest issue with his tackling is just control. He struggles so much coming to balance. And once he learns to just break down and just focus and instead of just torpedoing and lunging into everybody, I think he's going to be a much more consistent tackler. But I love the fit for him in Dallas. Yeah, and here's my argument to a lot of Cowboys fans when I make this pick. Um, I, I keep saying that, you know, Dallas has drafted several Xavier McKinney's over the last decade. What I mean by that, and I, Xavier McKinney's a really good player. I have a late first, early second round grade on McKinney, so I don't think this is a knock on him. But the Cowboys have drafted types of Xavier McKinney in the past. Well, there's guys like Xavier Woods, J.J. Wilcox, guys who play in the box, guys who are you know, better suited as strong safeties more so than that deep free safety. Dallas hasn't had a true deep free safety in terms of being a, in a productive role since Ken Hamlin. 
which was more than 10 years ago. So the Cowboys have lacked this true ball hawk in the deep middle for some time now. And we have the Cowboys really haven't had a guy like Grant Delpit with his ball skills and range in just so long. And, I, and with Mike Nolan now being hired as a defensive coordinator, he's openly said that they want new playmakers in the back end. And whether that was a shot at Byron Jones, who's had one interception in two years, which is a sign of just a new change in Dallas in the secondary. This is a team that finished dead last in interceptions last season. And some changes need to be made. And what, I understand Grant Delpit's tackling concerns are going to scare people off. But you pay your defensive backs to make plays on the ball. And if Grant Delpit has six, seven interceptions a year, no one's going to be talking about his missed tackles. So, uh, to me, Grant Delpit is – I think he's, he would be a bona fide steal right here at 17. I think, the, I think when we talk about the Cowboys' 17th overall pick, Leighton Vandrush was a guy that, you know, was keep getting mocked to Dallas at 19. Everyone's like, it's going to happen. It's, 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 there's too many whispers. I think Delpit is going to be the same way with Dallas. I don't see how Dallas is going to pass on him, knowing how much they've needed his safety in years past and passed on that guy. They, want, they passed on Juan Thornhill and Taylor Rapp last year. Both had great rookie seasons. I don't think Jerry Jones and Will McClellan are going to make that same mistake twice. I'm with you, and I like the fit for Delpit here. And you know it. Dallas fans have been clamoring for an upgrade at safety for so long. They've been playing with Jeff Heath and Xavier Wood. Jeff Heath really has been the team's biggest playmaker on the back end, as crazy as it is to say. But Delpit would be a monstrous upgrade over him. So I like his fit in Dallas. Yeah, and a lot of the most interesting picks in my mock draft come in this sort of 15 to 25 range and the next one i really want to mention here is the las vegas raiders and one of the you know prospects that's stock is really skyrocketing over the past couple months patrick queen the linebacker from lsu there may not be a prospect in this draft class that had a better second half of the season than patrick queen this guy just dominated throughout the competition in big games where it was alabama guarding you know Najee harrison man coverage or running side on the sideline then the college football playoffs had a Excellent performance against Oklahoma and then Clemson. Uh, and I know you're a big fan of his as well. Do you like the yeah. fit here with Patrick Queen to the Raiders? I love it, man. And Patrick Queen is quickly becoming one of my biggest draft crushes, and I'll tell you why. So a lot of things are the negatives you hear about Patrick Queen, and the biggest reason why a lot of people give him pause as far as a first-round guy is that he misses a lot of tackles, he's super athletic, and he plays out of control. And I say that just because – no linebacker prospect is going to be perfect. There's there's, there's not going to be any prospect that's perfect. But all of these guys are going to come with their flaws. But as a linebacker, it's easier to get a guy to slow down as opposed to speed up. And I what, I mean, what I mean by that is you can tone down a guy that plays extremely aggressive just because Patrick Queen sees the game so well, man. And I put up a tweet about him, just how he's able to follow pullers. And even though you see all of these motions and these shifts from these offenses, he does not take the cheese at all. What I mean by take the cheese is some of these motions and pre-snap adjustments that these offenses are making. He's still able to follow these pullers and somehow find the ball. He's like a ball magnet, man. And that's what I love about him. But, of course, he's super athletic and he plays out of control at times. But I think with proper coaching, you can get him to slow down a little bit. And I think he's going to see the game even better. So that's why I think I'm going to end up putting a first-round grade on Patrick Queen. But as far as his fit with the Raiders, I love it. This is a team that's best linebacker has been Vontez Burfecht 
over the past few years, and they need that guy in the middle. And if you think about John Gruden's defenses from years past when it was in his glory days, Derrick Brooks is the guy that comes to mind. And that's not to say Patrick Queen is going to end up being Derrick Brooks. But as far as that guy that can be that young leader in the middle that you can build a defense around that's super athletic. And just think about all the talented defenses that were in the playoffs this year. They were really fast at linebacker. And the 49ers are a prime example. You have Fred Warner, Quan Alexander, and Dre Greenlaw. So you have to have these speedy guys on the second level. And the NFL definitely has changed. You're not getting these two-down thumpers anymore, these big, beefy linebackers in the middle. It's now a smaller guys that's six foot to six one, about 220 to 230 pounds that are just super rangy. And that just falls perfectly in the category of Patrick Queen. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Patrick Queen or Kenneth Murray? Oh, Patrick Queen, without question. Just because really? I, th- I think the biggest separator is that Murray struggles diagnosing so much in between the tackles. I his, agree with that. His, his eyes are all over the place. And the Kansas State game is a prime example of that, man. Things were yep. just moving a little bit too fast for him. But with Queen, man, he is so good at seeing the game. It's like he's a step ahead of everything. And like I said, he's like a ball magnet. He doesn't he doesn't fall for any motions or all these fancy things that offenses are doing really to create these blocking angles. Now, he does struggle a little bit getting off blocks when blockers are able to square him up. But I think once he's able to really figure out how to finagle around and really contort his body to get skinny in holes and get around these blockers, I think the sky's the limit for this guy, man. He reminds me a lot of Levante David coming out. And I think I think that's a really good comparison for him. Yeah, I'll tell you what scares me about Kenneth Murray. I know we're getting a little off uh, topic here, but do you remember scouting Stephon Anthony coming out of Clemson? Yeah. That was, what, 2015, I believe? Mm-hmm. Uh, so New Orleans Saints took him in the first round as a linebacker. Very similar prospect. Great physical profile, uh, good athlete, stopping power is all there. But the mental processing was something that you would hope he would get better at, and he never did. And so I'm wondering the kind of same thing with Kenneth Murray is, you know, I, he has all the traits you look for, but in terms of the mental processing and the play speed, it's going to be a bit of a transition from the next level. And so if he doesn't produce right away for a team, because I, I know a lot of these NFL rookies play linebacker have had immediate impacts. So Darius Leonard and Leighton Vanders are both all pros in their rookie years. So if you're, if, if Kenneth Murray does not produce right away, just be patient with him, but also realize that that, you know, mental curve is going to be a little bit steeper for him. Um, but in terms of Patrick Queen, I just want to talk about this Raiders, you know, realism here. And, this is a team that was all over Devin White and Devin Bush in last year's draft. And I have good sources that tell me that Devin Bush and Devin White were both seriously in play at number four overall. It came out to the last second between Cleveland Farrell and these two linebackers. And then you look at who they drafted in Mike Mayock's first really draft as a GM. Talk about Jonathan Abram, Cleveland Farrell, Josh Jacobs, Hunter Renfro, all guys who really embody toughness, championship pedigree. Uh, a brand of physical football. That's Patrick Queen, man. This guy will hit you in the hole. I, I, I described him earlier you know, on last episode as a basically a more athletic Malik Harrison, where he'll hit you in the mouth, but he also cover you 50 yards downfield. This is a guy that I love, and I think you're right in terms of slapping a first-round grade on him. I think he's that good. Um, but any other thoughts on Patrick Queen to the Raiders or Kenneth Murray as a whole? Oh, Patrick Queen, like I said, man, when I was writing up his report – like, <laughs> I needed more space on it just because that's how much <laughs> I wrote about him, man. Yep. I'm a big fan of him. 
And I think he's definitely going to be linebacker too, but behind Isaiah Simmons in this draft class. But as far as, you know, true Mike off ball guys, I think he's right near the top of this class. And it would surprise me, like the way he ran on film, sideline to sideline, it would not surprise me if he ran 4 4 like Devin White and Devin Bush did. I agree with that. That would not surprise me at all. I agree with that. So we're going to move down six picks here from 19 to 25 to your Minnesota Vikings, my friend. And this is a guy that we both love. And we're, I think the two of us are higher than just about anyone on this guy. And it's an offensive tackle from Houston, Josh Jones. What are your thoughts on that fit? I love it. And, you know, we were texting back and forth about this the other day when I actually got into his 2019 film. And I watched Central Florida, Connecticut. And there was one more game that I watched that doesn't come to mind immediately. But I watched four games on him, and, man, he was just incredible from what he did show uh, this year. And he is a bit raw as far as his pass-protecting skills, and I think he needs to add a little bit of strength. But his baseline traits and what he's entering into the NFL with, I think teams are going to love. And zone scheme teams, zone scheme teams, I keep saying that I think he's a perfect fit in that just because I thought Houston did a really good job of keeping him on the move in those outside zone and also inside zone type of running plays. But also I was really surprised to see how effective he was with hitting his target areas in the screen game. And I put up a cut up of him a couple of days ago of him getting out on screens and just how fluid of a mover he is plays through the echo of the whistle. And man, I just think the sky's the limit for this guy, but uh, just keeping it on topic with the Vikings, as far as how Josh Jones fits with them, we really don't know what the future of Riley reef holds. He's a guy that's scheduled to be an unrestricted free agent after next season. So he's probably not in the long-term plans of the team. But you talk about a guy that fits perfectly in this zone scheme or stretch run scheme that the Vikings are running now with Gary Kubiak as offensive coordinator and pairing him with Brian O'Neill. Now you have two young bookends for Kirk Cousins whoever the quarter, or whoever the quarterback of the future may be for this team. So I love the fit with Josh Jones. With Josh Jones. You're the Vikings expert, so there's not really much I can really add to that. <laughs> but, um, but other than just the fact that I love Josh Jones, you know I love those former basketball players playing offensive tackle because they have that sweet feet. Um, but I'm going to go right down the line to 31. San Francisco 49ers, they just lost the Super Bowl to the Kansas City Chiefs. But they get some reinforcements in the interior offensive line. Chris Jones beat them up at the Super Bowl. They need some reinforcements there, especially in a division with Jerron Reed and Aaron Donald in the NFC West. They get your boy, Lloyd Cushenberry from LSU. What do you think about that? I like it. And I'll say this. The 49ers definitely need an upgrade along the interior just because I thought it got they got a little bit exposed there. And you hit the nail on the head as far as what Chris Jones was able to do to them. And you have to be able to protect the middle with Jimmy Garoppolo just because he's not a guy that's going to change the launch point a whole lot. He doesn't really move around in the pocket a whole bunch, even though he is an athletic guy. He's a guy that really has to stay on schedule for the most part. So you want to anchor in the middle a guy that's really not going to allow a lot of penetration. And I think Cushenberry definitely does do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm 100% with you. And I'm, you know, I'm just going to reiterate the fact that they play in a division with Aaron Donald and Jerron Reed. Yeah. And the two matchups against Seattle especially, Jerron Reed tore them up. So this is, a, I think, you know, a lot of teams, I don't think people realize this, they draft to their divisions. The first thing that comes to mind is the Washington Redskins. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. seems like every draft they're doing to stop either the Cowboys or the Eagles. So with the Cowboys, it was always with Ezekiel Elliott, right? They drafted in consecutive drafts, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. They're both like, we're not going to let Ezekiel Elliott run all over us. I think that a lot of teams draft to their divisions, and I think San Francisco is going to do exactly that. And so just moving along to the second round, 
The first pick of the second round belongs to the Cincinnati Bengals, who took Joe Burrow. They need to find him a weapon. T. Higgins from Clemson. What do you think about that fit? I like it. And this is a team that really needs, I think, an upgrade at receiver just because I don't know if A.J. Green is going to be back. So you want to get a guy that's similarly built to A.J. Green now. They have they have vastly different playing styles. But you want to get as many weapons as possible for Joe Burrow. And I think his skill set fits very well with T. Higgins just because T. Higgins isn't known as a great separator. But Joe Burrow isn't a guy that – or is a guy, I should say, that likes to throw those – those those faith balls that I like to say he likes to throw it up and let these guys go up to make plays just like he did with Jamar Chase last year so I think T Higgins is a guy that fits very well in this game just because Joe Burrow isn't scared to throw up the ball and allow him to climb the ladder and go get the ball so I really like the fit here with Cincinnati you pair him with Tyler Boyd and then you add him into the mix with Joe Mixon and some of these other young pieces that they do have I think the Bengals are definitely starting to build a nice offensive foundation yeah, and just like I said with all these young quarterbacks, you got to invest them with your pass catchers or pass protectors. And in this case, with AJ Green out, I think getting an outside weapon like T. Higgins makes just too much sense. And going down to teams we haven't touched on yet, so the Detroit Lions, I gave them Jeffrey Okuda in the first round. In the second round on the turn, I gave him Marlon Davidson, the versatile defensive lineman from Auburn. This is a team that was dead last in pass defense. And when you have that, you either got to upgrade your pass rush or your secondary. And in this case, I gave him both. So what do you think about Davidson to the Lions here? So we talk a lot of times about prospect fits and how they fit into the scheme. Marlon Davidson is a perfect fit in Matt Patricia's scheme just because I think he can play that four-eye or four-technique in this defense. And he's not an overly explosive guy that's going to get up the field right now and consistently put pressure on the quarterback. But as far as holding strong at the point of attack, being able to two-gap and not get blown off the ball, he definitely does do that. And he was a sneaky 297 pounds. We talked about this on our Senior Bowl recap. He does not look 297 pounds at all. He was so well put together. And of anybody on the first day of practices, he probably looked the best considering both teams and all the prospects that we did see. Unfortunately, he did suffer a foot injury after that, but he was off to a tremendous start, and he helped himself so much in just a matter of one practice. Yeah, and just as you mentioned, I think we look at his frame at 297. He could easily put on 10 to 15 pounds and play that true three-technique spot. And I, think, I don't think anyone would bat an eye. I think he's like so well put together at that current weight. I think he could easily put on more pounds and still play the same sort of athleticism and quickness we saw in Mobile. Um, so just going down the line again, another team we did not touch on, the Los Angeles Chargers. I had him taking Justin Herbert in the first round. And on the turn, I had him going Matt Pert, offensive tackle from UConn, one of my favorites. What do you think about that? Is that too high for Pert? I'm a much bigger fan than Pert than the rest of the draft community. So this is probably one guy we definitely will disagree on the most. I think this is a bit rich for Pert. I wouldn't touch him before the third round. And I'll say this. I'll say this. His play strength does concern me a little bit, and his foot quickness does worry me a little bit. And I know he's an athletic guy, and he's one I'm definitely going to have a red dot beside to see how he does test just because he looked a little bit sluggish at the Senior Bowl at times. And this is just strictly from the one-on-ones. I didn't watch him in 11-on-11s or actual scrimmage or team-like situations, I should say. But just judging him from my notes, from what I had down at the Senior Bowl, he looked a little bit sluggish and he was a little bit slow with his feet. So I'm going to be interested to see how he does test. Now, if he does test, you know, if he runs like 4-9 or low 5 5-0s, I think that's definitely going to help him a lot. But just as far as what he showed and what I have seen, the second round is a bit rich for me. 
what you just said is a blasphemous statement, and it will be redacted from this <laughs> podcast. I will say this right now about Matt Pert. I am all the way in on the Matt Pert train. And as much as I love Josh Jones, Matt Pert was the best offensive tackle on Mobile. In terms of one-on-ones, the game, whatever it was, man, this guy stonewalled everybody he played. And it's so fascinating because he didn't play football until his senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. He played guard most of his career at Connecticut. So he really ha- only has one year of starting experience at left tackle. Just think about that. And the fact that he looked so good on tape, and then we followed up with a great senior bowl performance, he's one of those ascending prospects where you look at his line graph, and it's just going straight up. I believe he's just going to get better and better with more NFL coaching. And, you know, the Chargers is a team that's going to be rebuilding. So you can take on a project who can kind of learn through his mistakes. And Nick Pert is a perfect fit for a Chargers team that's about to blow it up. I'm a big fan of Matt Pert. I couldn't disagree with you more on the foot quickness. I didn't think he looked sluggish at all in the one-on-ones. I think this is a guy where his athleticism was accentuated in these one-on-ones. I think, if anything, he needs to get a little stronger in his upper body, kind of deal with those power rushers. I think he has the foot quickness. As a former, as a former basketball captain in high school, who almost played college basketball at Connecticut playing center, this is a guy that I think has the foot quickness and the hip fluidity to really mirror speed rushers all around the yard. It's just a matter of time before he gains that power and that kind of nuance with his foot technique and really coordinating with his eyes. Uh, so I'm a big fan of Matt Pert, and the Chargers, I think he can learn through his mistakes. It's a great fit for that scheme. Um, but just so we don't have to disagree with you, disagree anymore on that, and so I don't have to hear any more of your blasphemous remarks on Matt Pert and the Chargers, <laughs> I'll move on. Um, and, and the Cleveland Browns. This is a team that dealt with a lot of safety problems over the years. I gave them Tristan Wirfs in the first round. They needed offensive tackle help, but this is a team that needs safety help. I almost gave them Grant Delpin in the first round, but I didn't go on Wirfs there. But in the second round, I gave him Ashton Davis. We know what happened with the, you know, with, uh, the former Auburn safety. Was, I can't remember his name at the moment, but he had a Twitter debacle. Then you had guys like Morgan Burnett. You had Demarius Randall. A whole – Bad situation of the safety depth chart in Cleveland. They need to really redo that position. Ashton Davis from California. Is this a little too high for him, or is this right, really right, the right spot? And what do you think about the team fit there? No, I think this is a good situation for him, and I think it's a good range for him. And we'll see what does happen with Demarius Randall and also Morgan Burnett. Uh, both of the starting safeties last year for the Browns. I don't know if either one of those guys will be back. Next year, I think Randall probably would be the odd man out there. But as far as that single high safety that the Browns need on the roof of their defense, I think Ashton Davis definitely can be that. We both know his story and how incredible he is. Came to Cal as a track athlete, exhausted his eligibility there, and then ended up walking onto the football team and becoming team captain. And the story has been written since then. So love his story. And I love all of the hats that he's able to wear. A guy that really is the ultimate chess piece. On the Cal defense, he didn't necessarily just play strong safety. He came down in the box and was really good in run support, was fantastic as a blitzer off of the edge, and just loves contact. I think that's one of the biggest things that I loved about Ashton Davis the most. And there's just something. You know you have a weak spot for athletic offensive tackles. My weak spot is for guys that were former walk-ons and work their way up just because the game just means a little bit more than the original player to them. And Ashton Davis is definitely one of those guys that I would bang the table for. I absolutely agree, and that's why I mocked him there. Uh, so, and this trade didn't, this mock didn't have trades, but the next pick I really want to highlight is something that I think could be a possibility for a trade up into round one to get that fifth year option. We know quarterbacks they get traded up in that first one. We saw Lamar Jackson with the Baltimore Ravens a couple of years ago where they trade up to the last pick at the first round to secure that fifth year option. So, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers take Jacob Eason from Washington. 
this is, again, trading up the end of the first round to get that fifth-year option. In this scenario, I didn't have trades, but I have them here falling 45 to Tampa Bay. What do you think about that fit? This is one that makes a lot of sense to me, and I'm going to say this. It would not surprise me if this pick ends up happening at 14 as opposed to 45, just because oh, yeah. if, you, oh, yeah. if, you think, if you think about all of the past if you think about all the past signal callers that Bruce Arians has worked with, Carson Palmer, Peyton Manning, Big Ben, Andrew Luck, all these guys that he has worked with previously, a lot of the similar qualities that they had from an arm strength standpoint and just knowledge of the game, Jacob, Jacob Eason. Yeah, Jacob Eason definitely does have it. And Bruce Arians just likes guys that take risks. And I know he's coming off a quarterback like Jameis Winston that just turned the football over uncontrollably. And Eason, had, Eason has some of that feaster famine associated yeah. with, his, with his throwing style. But I think his isn't as volatile or out of control as Jameis. And I think Bruce is probably going to see that maybe he can mold this kid. And you just have to remember that he only started two years in college just because he started his freshman year at Georgia ended up getting hurt his sophomore year, and then he eventually came back and then was overtaken by Jake Fromm, and then he never got a spot back. Transferred to Washington, only played one year there. So this is a guy that really is essentially only a two-year starter, so he's still learning the game in a sense, and Bruce might still see him as a bit raw, and maybe he can mold him. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's like, man, I want this kid at 14 just because I want my quarterback of the future, and I just see Jameis is kind of maxed out, and he is what he is at this point. Welcome to the NFL Draft, Los Angeles Rams. You just got Josh Uche from Michigan. Your thoughts? You know, once again, just going back to what we were talking about with Marlon Davidson and the Lions, Josh Uche and the Rams, he definitely fits their type as far as those kind of undersized but explosive edge rushers that we have seen in years past. And we've seen it plenty of uh, out of plenty of prospects in years past. Um, some of the names that do come to mind is, um, I forgot his name, Ibukanam, I believe that was his name. Uh, yep. I can't remember. Yeah, he was one guy that they did draft a couple years back, and he's one guy that definitely comes to, mi- comes to mind as far as just those undersized, explosive, but really Okaronqua mature hands. Okoronkwo was another yeah. one from Oklahoma that they did like a lot, ended up selecting him as well. So they like those undersized but twitchy guys, and definitely Uche is one guy that comes to mind as fitting that mold. Yep, and we're just going to go right down the line here. We got one. We got a couple of running backs. I'm going to go with two of them here. Buffalo went Jonathan Taylor, and then Houston went Clyde Edward Lair. What do you think about those two fits there? It makes a lot of sense, especially, you know, pairing Edward Lair with Carlos Hyde. I think that definitely gives them a formidable duo, but I love the fit with Jonathan Taylor and Buffalo just because Devin Singletary is more of the complimentary 1B to a 1A type of rusher. And we definitely know that Jonathan Taylor can be a 1A rusher. He has over 900 carries in his time at Wisconsin. So there, there's some question marks about just how much tread there is on the tires left. But I think pairing him with Devin Singletary to where Singletary can handle a grunt of the receiving work and then some of the outside of the tackles rolls to where, you know, that leaves Jonathan Taylor with in between the tackles and, you know, grind it out style that Buffalo likes to incorporate with Josh Allen. I really like this fit a lot. Now, here we go. We're at the tail end of the here of the second round. Seattle has two picks, 59 and 64. I gave them tackle slash guard Sadiq Charles from LSU and safety Kyle Duggar from Lenore Ryan. Those two picks, that pairing, what do you think about that? 
So I actually did my homework and I went and watched Sadiq Charles just after you told me. And I like him a lot. I like his athleticism, but, you know, the red flags, there's a whole bunch of them. He almost actually got kicked off the team at LSU this year. So uh, for various reasons, has been suspended that we talked about on the previous show as well. So there's a bunch of red flags there. But we know with Seattle, they're a team that really doesn't care too much about red flags. Right. They're a team that I definitely could see taking Sadiq Charles just because we know. Yeah, absolutely. We know Jermaine Ofedi isn't the long-term answer there, and they have some questions at tackle, and we know Dwayne Brown is definitely going to be team's left tackle uh, for there, for, there for a very long time, but they're going to have a huge hole at right tackle now that Ofedi is scheduled to be an unrestricted free agent. So I definitely could see a guy like Sadiq Charles coming in right away and definitely being a starter. Now he does need to gain some strength in areas. I think he plays a little bit out of control as a result just because he doesn't have a whole bunch of strength right now. But you talk about upside, I definitely think he has plenty of that. It would surprise me if he does end up going top 50 like we do have him going here. So really interested in that. Uh, Kyle Duggar, I mean, I could go on and on about this guy. I've been going on and on about him since we've started this podcast. And I love him. I love the fit in Seattle. And then just remaking, continue to remake the secondary. I like that fit a lot. Yeah, I think with Kyle Duggar and Sadiq Charles, for that matter, both are great athletes and they're going to test really well. And Kyle, Kyle Duggar, especially, 6'1", 220, probably going to run somewhere in the 4'4s, might jump 40 inches. That fits all the Seattle prototypes, man. Yeah. Seattle loves to draft those kind of athletes. You pair him with Marquise Blair in the back end, you can have a really good young safety duo there. So I love, I just love that fit too much for him, for, for me to not make that really uh, match there. And then well, the last one I really want to highlight in the second round, Jake Fromm to the Tennessee Titans. And I know they have the whole dynamic with Ryan Tannehill. Are they going to sign him long-term? Are they going to franchise him? But many are questioning whether Ryan Tannehill is going to be the long-term guy. They might sign him to a short-term extension. Like I said, they might franchise him. Jake Fromm to the Titans. Does that make any sense for you? Yeah, it does. And I say that just because this is a team that is very similar as far as the style of play that they want to play, like the 49ers incorporated with Jimmy Garoppolo. They just want the quarterback to keep the train on the tracks. And once you once that train, if that if it has to take an alternate route or get off the tracks, that's really where a lot of the problems occur. And I think that's an area where Jake Fromm does struggle with. And you have to have you have to surround him with a whole bunch of weapons. And we'll see what does happen with Derrick Henry and if he will be back. If I had to guess, I think he does end up coming back. Uh, but that ground and pound attack that do that they do incorporate, and then you have guys on the perimeter like AJ Brown, Corey Davis, John New Smith. So they have a plethora of weapons that that Jake Fromm will have at his disposal. And if you think about it, he's very similar to Ryan Tannehill. Now he's not the athlete that Tannehill is, but as far as their playing style, and then a similar type of upside, and then they can have some spot play of. I don't want to say near elite or anything like that, but they can make some timely throws in order to win games or keep you in position to win games and keep the train on the track in a sense. So I think this is a sneaky good fit. And I'm a, now, now that the whole mock draft is over, I'm going to list three names that weren't in my mock draft that may catch some eyeballs and have maybe a little bit of controversy on Twitter. The first name is Rayquan Davis from Alabama. He didn't make it. Curtis Weaver, the defensive end from Boise State, he did not make it. And then Isaiah Wilson, the offensive tackle from Georgia, who recently declared the redshirt sophomore, he didn't make it either. All three have received first-round buzz in several mock drafts in this pre-draft cycle. What do you think about those three guys being left out? Yeah, I'm just not seeing it, especially with Wilson. 
and he's a guy I actually I actually did a write up on midseason. And he just he's all over the place as far as his technique. Now he does have plenty of strength. I will say that he's very powerful. But as far as his technique, he's just not there right now. And he's just a guy I would not be comfortable selecting, especially in the top fifty. I wouldn't touch him before the I third agree. round, like like you have him here. And I just think his technique, his baseline starting position right now. There's no way I would trot him out there as a starter from day one. He's a guy no I think you have to shelf for a year in a sense, and just allow him to sit back and be an understudy while he continues to work on his polish and his technique. Uh, who was the other two guys that you had? So Curtis Weaver from Boise okay. State and then Raekwon Davis from Alabama. Yeah, and we've talked about it plenty of times with Raekwon. It's just a matter of has he maxed out as a player. And I believe right. it was his sophomore year where he had like eight sacks or something yep. like that. That was by far his best year. And if you combine his past two years as far as a sack production, he hasn't come anywhere close to like, those eight like, sacks. It's like two sacks. So yeah. two sacks combined. Yeah, and that's something that you really worry about. And it was really unfortunate that he missed the senior bowl. I think he could have helped himself a lot. Absolutely. And I know he was nursing an injury, but I just think that was a huge missed opportunity for him. But uh, just going on Curtis Weaver, I don't think he's going to test very well. I think he's going to hurt his stock a lot. I don't see and, him with him. Yeah, me either. I don't see it. And then a lot of his production came against FCS talent. I believe he had four sacks. Uh, four of his 13 and a half sacks came against Portland State. So that just goes to show you a lot of his yep. production came against FCS a competition lot of lower level. Sacks too. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, he w- I know he was the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year, but as far as what he brings to the table, I think he's probably better off gaining some weight and sliding down inside just because I don't think he has the explosiveness to, com- to consistently win off the edge as an edge rusher. Yeah. And I'm going to throw a name for you with Curtis Weaver that some people may not like, but he's, he's been an okay player in the league. I mean, but Ronald Blair, do you remember him coming out of Appalachian yeah, State? Absolutely. Similar physical profile, and he's a good player, but he's not worthy of a two a first two-round guy. Uh, I think, you know, I, I, I had a third, fourth-round grade on Ronald Blair. I'll have the same sort of grade on Curtis Weaver. What do you think about that? Yeah, I have a third on Weaver right now, and I like that comparison a lot. And like I said, I just think he's going to have to slide down inside or even play there in sub packages. He kind of, you really don't know really where to play him. And this is not a player comparison or anything like that, but he's kind of one of those tweeners like Solomon Thomas when he was coming out of Stanford. I just don't really know where to play him. And that just gives me me a lot of pause taking him early. Yeah, and I I think a lot of teams are going to have trouble with the build. He doesn't look like, he doesn't doesn't look like a defensive end. Yeah. But like, he's not well put together. Carrying a lot of bad weight, I just don't see it with him. I, I unless he makes some dramatic change with his game, which rarely ever happens. I just can't see myself putting anything higher than a third, fourth round grade on him. I didn't like his film that much, so I lot, a lot of unblocked production, and I think those kind of stats were inflated a little bit. So I'm not as high on Isaiah Wilson, Davis, or Weaver, and I probably wouldn't take any each of those guys before the top 75, if that. And I know I'm a little lower on those guys, but as we've seen those guys been taken the first round in several, several mock drafts over the last month or two. But I just don't see how when the NFL does their full evaluation of these guys, that those guys are going to be top 50 locks. Um, but Jordan, we made it. That's my two round mock draft. You can go check it out on the draft network pinned to the top page. You better click on it. You better get my mention and tell me how you loved every pick. because Every pick's going to be right. And it's going to be predicted right here before April.
right.